Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter, and safer movement patterns, so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to monthly motivation. So now I've changed my Monday motivation to a monthly motivation to really hone in on a topic and cover it a little bit more in depth. So I would love to hear about any topics that you would like me to talk about on this Monday monthly motivation. Today's topic is about the science of aging, which is something I think everyone is fascinated with. And the research continues to reveal more and more ways that we can control how we age. Aging gracefully is more than just looking good or keeping the wrinkles, you know, not going, not at bay, but it's really about feeling healthy and joyful in our bodies and being able to maintain a lifestyle that allows us to move freely, travel, um, do the things that we enjoy, including moving with our children and our grandchildren, surrounding ourselves with the people that we really love. So I did a deep dive into some of the research in the science of aging that's out there now and shared some of the, I want to share some of the relevant stuff with you. Um, there is a lot out there. There's a lot about supplementations. There's a lot about other kind of, um, not passive modalities, but things you can do. But I wanted to really whittle it down to what can you do today going forward that will help you age more gracefully, um, keep your cognitive functions high, um, spark that energy, and maybe even change your mindset about aging, that it actually can be enjoyable and doesn't have to be this kind of downward slope 
So the tips for aging gracefully, I collected from a variety of articles and kind of condensed them. Again, there's a lot more out there, but these, these were consistent across the research that's been conducted. So here are some tips. I'm going to give you about six. I might add on, but the number one is the number one. And that is exercise. So instead of waiting for that to be last, I'm going to talk about it at the first. I've talked about ad nauseum, how important exercise is, how important movement is. But the research we know now, it confirms it. Exercise really turns those hours into exercise into years of your life. So research has shown that when you engage in physical activity for two and a half hours at a moderate intensity, each week can increase your life expectancy by 3.5 years. So that's 2.5 hours, moderate intensity over a week. I would recommend it doing even more than that, but that's like, that's the minimum to increase your life expectancy by 3.5 years. So even if you did half of that, you're adding 1.8 years to your life. So even though it's exercise isn't going to give you all the answers, free you from wrinkles, on and on and on, it is significant in really determining how well you age and your health outcomes. So this um, Cardiff University epidemiologist, Peter Elwood, tracked the health outcomes of more than 1,600 people older than 45. So that would be my group. And he identified that regular exercise as a key habit reduced people's risk of chronic conditions such as diabetes and vascular disease. In a 2017 study on Alzheimer's, just to go right into the cognitive stuff, 93 adults had at least one parent or one gene that was linked to Alzheimer's. And they looked at the people who exercised versus not exercising. So individuals who exercised for 68 minutes a day. So that's more than that, you know, two and a half hours a week. But 60 minutes, 60 minutes, 68 minutes a day, they had better glucose metabolism. Now, what that signals is that um, your brain is healthier. When your glucose is metabolizing well, meaning that better glucose metabolism, your brain is healthier. And that is usually an indication of things that can lead to brain function, like type 2 diabetes um, is linked to higher risk of Alzheimer's. So that healthy glucose is important. Then the people who did not do that 68 minutes of exercise had a much um, lower or less optimal glucose metabolism. So in other words, those who exercised were going to be better off because they had better glucose metabolism, which is linked to this, a healthy brain, than those who did not exercise. Additionally, those who exercised also had greater brain volume in the areas of the brain that's associated with executive function and reasoning. And that's really like all of our cognitive decision-making. We need that, um, that higher executive function to be performing for us. So physical activity was also, in, um, also increased levels of the BDNF. That stands for brain-derived neurotropic factor. And that is known to help repair and protect brain cells from degeneration. So exercise is not just about keeping your heart fit, which it does. 
keeping your um, metabolism you know, more optimal, which it does, keeping your bones, your muscles strong, helping you with balance. It's really also helping your brain. And Dr. Sandra Bond Chapin, who is the chief director of the Center of Brain Health at University of Texas, Dallas, actually said, skip the Sudoku and get out and exercise. So we talk often or have heard often about the benefits of like doing crossword puzzles or doing those kind of Sudoku type puzzles to increase your brain health, to increase those um, dendritic um, synapses, which is great for the complexity of the brain. But what she's basically saying is exercise is more important. Now, adding along with aerobic exercising, engage the brain in some complex ways. That's really necessary to keep your mind sharp, especially in your latter years as you're aging. She recommends working on focus. And for instance, if you're listening to this podcast, can you really focus and absorb what I'm saying in a global way, but then try and remember some of the detailed points and repeat it to someone later? So you could do it with this podcast, you could do it with a book you read, but that type of honed in focus leads to better processing and memory, and that's essential for a healthy and aging brain. So Dr. Sandra Chapman, again, recommends exercise, exercise, but also work on um, engaging your brain in more complex ways where you are absorbing information, retaining it, processing it, and then trying to recall it later. And that's harder. And I'll talk a little bit about like focus and how you can focus better in this day and age where we are always bombarded with a lot of information. We have a lot of distractions because that's not great for our brain either. So that's, there are many more reasons for exercising. I think I've covered them in some of my podcasts. You probably know them, but I wanted to give you those nuggets that it's not only great for your body, um, but it's really great for your brain. A number two thing for the science of aging, some tips is use your diet to fuel you. We know eating well is important for many, many systems in the body. And we often don't know how not eating well is not good for us until later years. So you can, you kind of think back and you're like, oh, in your teens and 20s, you can quote unquote, get away with not eating as well, not working out as much, and then it catches up with you. But the thing about learning how to really have a diet that fuels you is you'll create a, a better habit earlier on. So even if you're listening to this and you're in your 20s, start that now because then that's going to be with you for life. It's going to become a habit that your food is there to fuel you. It's not um, there primarily as some other kind of, whether it's entertainment or boredom or emotional eating, and that's a whole other topic, but really try and use it to fuel you because we need food. We need the nutrients we get for food. We need them for the movement. We need them for our brain. We need them for our focus. We need them for sleep. We need all of that. So numerous studies that I looked at um, have linked a sedentary life to an increased risk of chronic illness and early death. And a sedentary life not only affects your organs, but you are more likely to have an increased BMI, which is the body mass index. And there are a lot of um, 
people who have problems with the body mass index because it would it's very reductionist to just look at that. But I will tell you in research, they have to have markers. And so that is one that they look at. You need to look at other things as well. But obesity um, does, when your body mass index is higher and there's ways of scoring it, it's really determined by dividing your weight in pounds by your height in inches squared. And then you multiply it by this conversion factor of 703. So the idea is that you should, your BMI should fall somewhere between 18.5 and 24.9. There, to me, I know there's going to be, you know, um, the outer limits of that, depending on your your diet that you have, you know, like, so for a plant-based diet, you might be a little bit low, you might be a little bit higher if you um, live in a different area of the world hereditary comes into it. So I'm just giving you the information from this research and, you know, don't shoot the messenger, but it is a way of marking stuff. And so the point is when that BMI is higher, so it's like above 25, um, you are setting yourself up for more um, potential chronic um, inflammation. And when you have chronic inflammation, that's what really spurs the free radicals. Those are the things we don't want in our body. You know, we, we talk about um, getting rid of the free radicals, but the, because the free radicals are kind of the fast track to aging. Um, it, it sets you up into this chronic inflammatory state. You are much greater risk of developing many of these age-related diseases that are all also showing over and over again through research, preventable diseases. So watching your body mass index is really important. Not being sedentary is really important. So let's look at areas of the world that are aging well and what are they doing and what are they eating? So underneath this, you know, diet, fueling yourself, the blue, do- the blue zone diets, you can just Google that. There's... Um, areas of the world. Uh, there's um, Okinawa in Japan. There's um, Costa Rica, the Nosara region. Actually, I'll be visiting soon, which I love. There's Loma Linda in California. There's Sardinia in Italy. And there's so there's areas that have um, the most amount of centur- centurions, which is people that are over 100 years old. So they've, they've kind of been in pocketed into these areas called blue zones. And those blue zone areas have been researched. So how, why are these people living so long? And not only are they living long, they're living well, they're living gracefully. So blue, do, blue zone diets have a very heavy plant bias. It's also it's called known as the plant slant. Like everything kind of slants towards plants. It isn't that they don't have perhaps seafood or lean meats, but there is a predominant plant-based diet, which of course I love being vegan. Um, and some of the things that includes, now I'm mixing all of the blue zones. So obviously it's based on the local habitat and the part, you know, the part of the world, but they include wild greens, potatoes, chickpeas, black eyed peas, tofu, sweet potatoes, brown rice, garlic, turmeric, shiitake mushrooms, green tea, coffee, seaweed, um, that's in Okinawa. Seaweed is used a lot. Um, beans, avocado, oatmeal, and nuts. Just to start to think like, what are some of these power foods that the Blue Zone people are eating? And this is kind of a fun fact that I uncovered too in my research. Mushrooms 
contain an amino acid called L, L as in Lara, L-ergothionine, which has been shown to have a higher correlation with longer life expectancy and reduced risk for heart disease and cognitive decline. In a 2015 study, Americans had were estimated to consume less than one milligram a day of this L-ergothionine compared to individuals in European countries. Say like in Italy, they were ingesting up to 4.6 milligrams a day, correlating to a greater, meaning Americans were correlating to a greater prevalence of chronic neurological diseases and shorter life expectancies. So if you can't stand mushrooms, there are people who really don't like the taste of mushrooms. You, there are supplements for L-ergothionine. But personally, I love eating mushrooms. I just had some today. And after doing this research, I'm like, I'm going to be eating those mushrooms all the time. Now, speaking of supplements, I'm not going to get a lot into them because I have a whole podcast on supplements that I take. And I do really recommend going to a functional medicine doctor who can recommend supplements that are more individualized for you. But one supplement that I take that is now like all over the news. In fact, my doctor said, make sure that you buy this because it is like going to be like stock that goes out through the roof. Um, it's in acetyl L-cysteine and that's the acronym is NAC. So NAC is a compound that replenishes cellular um, glutathione. I can never pronounce that. Glutathione. So glutathione levels drop with advancing ages. So as we get older, these, these are naturally going to drop. And that leaves the tissues more vulnerable to oxidative stress. So remember, we want to do like free radicals are part of that oxidative stress. So we want antioxidants or are things that are good for getting rid of this oxidative stress. So um, when we have lower levels of this glutathione, the the, the tissues are more, more vulnerable to oxidative stress and the development of what? Chronic disease conditions. So there's been research that has shown on autopsies um, with patients with a mild cognitive impairment all the way up to, you know, more severe cases of Alzheimer's disease. There were um, depleted glutathione levels in certain areas of the brain for anybody that was experiencing that. So when we increase the glutathione, um, through this NAC, um, we're reducing also homeocysteine, which is uh, something that is correlated to that overall chronic um, inflammation. And we're helping uh, modulate neurotransmitter systems. So this NAC that I was talking about, I take, it really shows a lot of promise in reducing brain aging. And I think that's why my doctor was saying, make sure you get a lot of stock in it, because I think the research is really showing more and more how important this is for your brain. Now, going back to the blue zones, um, in Japan's Okinawan blue zone, people have a saying there. And this saying basically translates to... Um, they remind themselves to stop eating when their stomachs are 80% full. And if Americans adopted this rule, research showed that they could probably lose an average of 17 pounds in the first year. So again, it's this idea of fueling yourself, not stuffing yourself, not depriving yourself, but this listening to how your body is processing food and when you actually are getting full. So 
there's been studies about um, calorie deprivation um, with rats and how they showed a longer life, but there's also been conflicting evidence. I don't think anybody wants to deprive themselves, but I think it is important to think, am I, am I continuing to eat because I was told I need to clear my plate, um, go back for seconds, all these things that were going beyond that 80%. And I thought it was very relevant that that in Japan, one of the, in the Okinawan area in this blue zone, one thing is that they tend to go by this rule of stop eating when you're 80% full. They're also much more active in the blue zones, naturally active, not necessarily in the form of, you know, going to the gym or anything, but in their daily lives, moving around a lot. Um, in terms of fueling yourself as well, you need to drink plenty of water. I think everybody knows that, but, uh, anyone as they get older is probably more prone to not being as hydrated. And so check in with the amount of water you're drinking. One more thing about fasting. There has been a lot of research on intermittent fasting. And I will tell you, I read enough that I can tell you it's mixed. Okay. So some research really doesn't see any great correlation between intermittent fasting and any positive outcome. But there have been some studies that have shown how it has intermittent fasting and, and that it was defined by 16 hours of fasting, eight hours, it's called 16 hours fasted, eight hours fed. And so you could, some people in the study were doing it from dawn till dusk, essentially. So like all day, and then they would eat. Now to me, I would like to reverse it, take it overnight maybe stop eating earlier and then not eat as, you know, not have a breakfast until later. So I get my 16 hours in where some of it I've been asleep and then eight hours fed. But either way, the study showed that 16 hours fasted, eight hours fed um, show, was shown to reduce cancer incidence, lower risk of neurodegenerative disorders, suppressing that inflammation, that chronic inflammation that nobody wants, reducing type two diabetes and obesity, and protecting against cardiovascular disease. And there was something about the intermittent fasting that when we done, when these people did it for four consecutive weeks, they saw an induced anti-cancer serum proteum response um, that occurred. So that is a very interesting idea that your body goes into some kind of cellular defense and strengthening. It's like becomes stalwart during this intermittent fasting. So if you're interested in learning more about that, I would look at the research as well. Uh, personally, I, I, some people might say I intermittently fast. I do more of an intuitive eating where I'm not hungry when I wake up in the morning. And I've spoken about this on my podcast and everybody's different, but are you, are you eating out of a habit that, you know, we were all told you need to eat breakfast. Now, by the way, some of the studies showed that people who ate breakfast were much more productive, had more energy, um, had exercised more than those who didn't eat breakfast. So I am not saying there's a hard and fast rule. What I think is train yourself to be intuitive about your eating. Think about, are you eating until you're 80% full? Um, are you under eating? Are you eating enough? Are you eating when you're hungry? Are you just eating because you're supposed to be eating? I think it's the more we kind of get in touch with our natural rhythm, I think that'll be helpful and will help us, you know, age well. 
All right, number three tip, take care of your mental well-being, all right? We all know now more than ever that our mental health matters. And there, again, I'm not a therapist. I'm just gonna convey some of the research, but I think we all know that, you know, we need to take care of our mental health. We need to do things we enjoy with passion. We need to spend time with friends, with loved ones, and this could be in the form of a furry friend because, by the way, a lot of research has shown that um, pets have been linked to lower stress and blood pressure, reduced loneliness, and improved moods. So maintaining a strong social network, that doesn't mean you have to have a ton of friends, but people that you can rely on, whether they're friends, family, a mixture of both, it can really help your uh, maintain your good health. It can help when you have friends or family that you know are there for you that can really cushion you when you're having hard times. And that can help you feel less stressed and anxious in life, which is a preventative measure against chronic conditions such as cardiovascular disease. And so again, those blue zone areas, they seem to have strong mental health because they're getting out and doing things in nature, they have strong social networks and they really value that. Now in the in um, University of California, Riverside meta-analysis of 20 published studies, conscientious people were more likely to live longer, which, you know, makes sense. If you're, if you're pretty good at showing up and doing what you say you're going to do and holding on to promises, you're probably also good at taking care of yourself, sticking to a healthy um, regime, exercise and lifestyle. Um, but it really does show us that um, when we are motivated and conscientious, consistent, our habits stick and we probably will also develop less you know less stress because we we have a we have a routine a good routine we we know that we're going to show up for ourselves and that is you know it's shown that like um a, an easy going meaning not laid back but easy going like go a little bit more adaptable that tends to give you some kind of survival advantage um studies of these centurions, these 100-year-olds have found they're more laid back than the general population and have more optimism. And so people, think about it, people that are grouchy or more pessimistic are more susceptible to not only depression, but things like high blood pressure and heart disease. So we want to um, manage our mental health, lower our stress. How do we do that? That sounds a great, everybody wants to lower their stress. Um, well, first of all, let me tell you why. I mean, I've talked about stress before, but how it ages us. And chronic unrelenting stress is just a, it's like putting the gas on for aging. And so we really need to manage it. And that could be getting a therapist. That could be learning how to breathe better. That could be taking pockets of time where you're absolutely doing nothing. You're not uh, accomplishing anything. You're resting. It could be getting more sleep. It could be, you know, spending more time with friends. But we have to find the ways that we're going to lower the stress because 
we know that it is putting the gas pedal on there. And there's a doctor, a gastroenterologist named Dr. Emerson Meyer, who says that stress-related changes in the brain are mirrored in gut and vice versa. So when we are stressed, either in our gut and having anxiety or like it's happening in the brain and back into the gut. So it is damaging us in all the systems. It's not like we're just gritting our teeth. It is going inside and really aging us. So how can we help ourselves with stress? It's finding that that recalibration where stress is both enough to motivate us, but not enough to damage us. So of course, making sure you get enough sleep is huge. Um, sleep is where we restore. This is kind of number four, but it's going back into stress because there's a lot to say that overlaps. But when you get enough sleep and more and more, it's showing that we need minimum six hours of sleep. We are getting that restorative factor with three times um, less likely to be depressed. Uh, when we don't get enough sleep, we're not only more likely to be depressed, we are more likely to kind of weaken our defenses um, against anything, whether it's illness, against uh, mental stuff that comes our way. Like we just don't handle it as well. So again, whether it's through um, some kind of therapy or um, work with somebody who's a sleep specialist, really, really tackle that to help yourself get better sleep because we need to get rid of this kind of insomnia that exists for a lot of people that have anxiety, maybe hormonal stuff, maybe both, um, but we really, really need to get more sleep. And there was a study in Toronto's um, Ryerson University and it said that 87% of patients who worked on sleep, um, improved sleep to get rid of insomnia also saw their depressive symptoms improve as well. So there is that strong correlation about getting more sleep. You're just able, your mental well-being is going to be able to handle things better. What is another thing you could do for sleep? And this is another tip. And this is another thing that can help your stress is practice mindfulness. Mindfulness, we heard about it. We have classes for that on our um, Lit Daily it's really about um, improved focus so that you can really pay attention to what's in front of you. And it doesn't have, without like expending a lot of energy, but it's that idea of uninterrupted time where you're not trying to multitask. Because guess what? Multitasking is a myth. We know it and it's a big drain. And distractions are the biggest drains on the brain. So we need to learn how to slow down this onslaught of information and pay attention in a gentle way where we're honing our focus for some kind of prolonged uninterrupted period. You can do this by sitting here and listening to me and just listening to me and not trying to do other things. I know it's always great when you're like walking and doing this. Okay, walking and doing this is fine, but are you chopping vegetables, talking to you know, someone else in the house, reading a paper at the same time, like we tend to try again to multitask. So practicing mindfulness is literally just trying to be more tuned in 
to the moment that you're in. And when you practice this, you will improve your focus. You will improve your memory. You will decrease your stress, which again is that big gas pedal for aging. It has been shown mindfulness improves improves emotional responses, like how you respond to situations, good or bad. Um, it improves relationship satisfaction and it increases immune functioning, which is super important again for aging. So we need to be able to, A, be okay with being kind of bored. Like how all of us, oh my gosh, the minute something is done and we have this pocket of space, think about how often you just pick up your phone and start looking at it. And it's, it's just a habit. And how about instead do nothing or pay attention to your breath for 10 minutes or pay attention to sitting and having your feet on the floor and just feeling your feet on the floor and connecting that feeling, centering your brain around that feeling and the sensation. Take a walk in the woods, you know, like that, that director of the brain um, center said, like, get out and exercise and and really get out, get outside and exercise, get outside and move. That is a form of mindfulness. Mindfulness doesn't have to be sitting still, but it might feel like you're being still if you're used to being busy, busy, busy. So that is almost all I have. I'm going to add one other thing in, and um, this is just something to consider, but a lot of, there's a lot of research about the connection of hygiene in your mouth and heart disease and and other things. So take care of your mouth, take care of your teeth, you know, and this is um, going to a dentist. This is like going to a functional medicine doctor, go to a dentist, get your teeth clean, get your gums cleaned, floss daily um, because there's, you know, all this bacteria in your mouth, some good, some not, not so good that we don't want going into other areas of the body. And, you know, so take care of your mouth. It's it's an under um, viewed area, I think, a lot of the times. And I think it all kind of goes together. If you take care of your mouth, you take care of what you drink, take care of what you eat, take care of how you breathe, take care of how you move, you will pay attention. It's that mindfulness And all of those things will help us age more gracefully. It'll help us feel better, which will help our mental health because our mental health is very much connected to um, how how much we're taking care of ourselves. And sometimes that can be hard. We can feel really, really fatigued by the world and maybe aging and you're already aging and you're having challenges. But feel like you're doing a little reset button of trying to kind of reverse some of those cellular aging that might've already happened and knowing that you can, there's, it's shown you can do it to a degree. And then at the end of the day, also having grace and having um, acceptance that age, we all are aging. You know, no, like the, the saying goes, nobody's getting out here alive, but can we do it to the best we can? Can we age well? where we feel like we have our faculties, where we feel like we have our freedom and we feel like we're having fun. So I hope this helped you. There's a lot of good stuff out there. If you have any questions or comments or additions to what you found out about the science of aging well that you would love to share, 
I'd love to hear from you. You can always write me at support at lityoga.com. And please let me know if you like this format where I deep dive into something so that it can land and perhaps there can be little nuggets in there that you can apply and take away and bring into your life to help you in any way, because that's really my intention here. So if you have any ideas for these monthly motivations that of topics you'd like me to dive into, please again, write me support at lityoga.com or you can write me on Instagram, lara.hyman, just direct message me and I will see that. As always, I'm pulling for you.